Last week we talked about the church's role and what is the church's role in this issue of dealing with life within our society. We recognize that the church has a role or maybe I should say a responsibility in three different ways at least. Uh, one is a responsibility to our culture. Our culture, we need to confront our culture. We are within a, a culture of death when you look at the 1.3 million abortions that take place within our country each year. And we need to con- confront and impact our culture for life. We also recognize we have a responsibility to the victim, to the unborn, to, to bring protection to them in fighting for their rights. And we recognize the victimhood also extended to women that are being misled and manipulated in some circumstances. And so we want to bring protection for them as well. And then also that we have a responsibility to those who have committed this sin and been involved in this, and that is to bring reconciliation. Our goal is not to bring them condemnation. They're already under that. Our goal is to see them reconciled to God through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, to see them forgiven and fruitful in their life going forward. With that in mind, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this issue of abortion and consider a little bit more what the Bible has to say about it and what the ramifications of that are in our lives as we deal with this within our culture, within our society. And so as we consider the concept of abortion here this morning, the the first thing that I'd like to point out is that in the Bible we find the proclamation of personhood within the womb. There's places where the Bible recognizes that that which is uh, sometimes called the product of conception. I was listening to something on YouTube yesterday which was dealing with somebody that was a former abortion clinic uh, worker. In fact, they were the kind of the employee of the year for Planned Parenthood one year. And she said, uh, she mentioned POC. She says, you know what that stands for? And she said that stands for product of conception. She says, unless we were in a joking mood, then we called it pieces of children. Yeah, exactly. It was ugly. And uh, this person now is a pro-life advocate, has five children of her own, has received that reconciliation, she said, and moved on to try to impact, but recognizes, owns up to the fact that she is responsible for the death of 20,000. You know, one of the things that I do, and I'd encourage you to do the same, is every year around this time, I get on places like YouTube and I look for things that I want other people's stories to impact me. And so this week I've watched several. I watched that one. That lady's name is Abby Johnson. If you've seen the movie Unplanned, that that movie is the telling of her story. Another video that I watched was Gianna Jessen. She's a survivor of an abortion. Her mother was seven and a half months pregnant and decided she didn't want her daughter and so went in to get a saline abortion, which is it's supposed to burn you inside and out. And a day later, the baby's born dead. She lived. Something went wrong with the way they did it, and and she lived. I watched a video watching her tell her stories. You know, I recognize that on the other side of the aisle, they have lots of stories of of women that are going through pregnancy situations that aren't optimal times in their life, and and to try to feel for those women. And, And I do feel for the situations that they end up in. But the fact of the matter is, they're not the one being put to death. And so I I have a struggle with that, as we talked about last week. You know, I was thinking last night, one of the arguments is when a young girl, maybe a teenager, ends up pregnant, unplanned pregnancy. They got their whole life ahead of them, they say, and what opportunities are going to be left to them if they end up raising a kid starting when they're maybe 17. And I thought, you know what? Actually, they don't have their whole life ahead of them. If you live into your mid-70s like we tend to do today, that means you've got about 
78% of your life left. You know who has the whole life ahead of them? Actually, it's the child in the womb. And for all the stories that you tell, for the things that the women will miss out on, you can do the same thing for the infants. About 1.3 million individuals had their life taken from them last year in our country alone. Those are children that will never learn how to ride a bike. Those are girls that will never go to a prom, never walk an aisle to get married, never have a child, experience a grandchild. And so the tragedies there are very real as well. It's easier. They call it the silent Holocaust. And you know why? Because it's easier to stomach because we don't see it. They're not out here where we see them. They're in what's supposed to be the protection of their mother's womb. But you know what? In the Bible, the first thing that we want to point out is that the Bible recognizes that that person in the womb is a person. In fact, the same both in, in both the Hebrew and the Greek languages, in the Old and the New Testament, uh, the same word is used for the baby, whether it's in the womb or outside of the womb. If you want to get something that's wrong, uh, tolerated, relabel it. Relabel it something uh, that's easier to stomach the idea of. And that's why it's always, it's not a child, it's not a baby, it's not an infant, it's a product of conception. Or it's a fetus. Even fetus, it works because it's a different language, but it's, it's, it's what is it, Latin for little one. And so you really haven't changed it, but you move it to a language where you really don't know what it means, so it makes it more palatable for the masses. But you know what? Get right back to it. It is a person in there. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Who was Jeremiah in the womb? He wasn't a product of conception. He was... Jeremiah. I think of uh, Jesus and John the Baptist. Remember, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth is John the Baptist's mom. And Mary just finds out that she's pregnant with Jesus. And she goes to visit Elizabeth, who's already pregnant with John the Baptist. And when the voice of Mary is heard by Elizabeth, uh, John the Baptist leaps within Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth recognized that he was celebrating the arrival of Christ. All this taking place within the womb. Miraculous? Absolutely. But, but we find that it is John the Baptist in the womb of his mother, and it is Jesus within the womb of Mary, his mother. Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 and 14. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. How is the baby that is within the mother's womb acknowledged? How is it recognized? It is recognized in Scripture as being a person. In the womb, Jeremiah was Jeremiah. And in the womb, John the Baptist was John the Baptist. And Jesus was Jesus. And that's the thing. When you're in your mother's womb, you're you. And the development that we talked about last week begins to happen very quickly. By 12 weeks, they'll be sucking their thumb, feeling pain. Brain waves are, are moving. Heart is beating. Organs are functioning. And many of that happens earlier than that. It's just kind of all in place uh, at that time. It's an amazing thing, but that is you forming within your mother. So there's a proclamation of personhood we see within Scripture. But then not only that, we also see a protection of personhood in the womb. Because the Bible protects that baby that is, that is in the womb. In fact, with the same protection that would be given to the mother. We find in the book of Exodus, chapter 21, and verses 22 through 25, it says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, 
So it's, it's dealing obviously with a situation where a couple men get in a fight. Pregnant woman is in the close vicinity and their fight spills over into her and she gets hit in a way that she gives birth prematurely. It says, The one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. And so he says, all right, if that happens and the baby give, or the woman gives birth, but everything's fine. Mom's fine. Baby's fine. Everything's okay. Then that guy's still going to pay a price. The husband gets to ask for what the price would be. So he gets to initiate the lawsuit. Then the judge is going to listen to what the husband asked for and look at whatever happened. And he's going to determine what the final fine or what the final penalty will be. But then it goes on from there. It says, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And so we see within the Bible there is a protection of that infant that is in the womb that is the same amount of protection that would be granted for a mother or a father or for anybody else in the civilization. And that's exactly what our Constitution should be doing for us. But we actually do have in our country a law just like the law in Exodus. It's the Unborn Victims of Violence Act signed by President Bush in 2004, and it's been ratified in 38 states. It says, whoever engages in conduct that violates any of the provisions of law listed in subjection and thereby causes the death of or bodily injury to a child who is in utero at the time the conduct takes place is guilty of a separate offense under this section. All right, so to put that in a little simpler English, it's that if you do something to a woman that affects her child who is in her womb, you get charged for two offenses. In other words, if it costs the life of the woman and the life of her child, you get a double homicide. But then the second part of that says, except as otherwise provided in this paragraph, the punishment for that separate offense is the same as the punishment provided under federal law for that conduct had that injury or death occurred to the unborn child's mother. The same penalties that the mother would get for this crime will be applied for the life or the harm of that child as well. So pretty much exactly what it says back in the book of Exodus. Now, here's the deal. Why? Why does the child in the womb get that kind of protection from our laws, but it doesn't get the protection that says you have no right to infringe on anybody's life, liberty, or possessions? You know, it's, it's kind of like the same hypocrisy that you'll see that, you know, in a hospital, they'll be sparing no expense to save this child's life who's coming prematurely. And at the same time, down the hall or a floor down, they might be taking the life of a completely healthy child just because he's inconvenient or unwanted. You see, within the Bible, that baby within the womb was protected under God's laws and is protected under some of our laws, but needs to be protected under all of our laws. Well, let's consider several things about abortion that these two truths impact. And one is that abortion is not science. It is not science. You cannot hold a consistent stand for abortion that agrees with what we know in science. And I think our culture is learning that. With the advanced ultrasounds and things like that, it's getting very hard to deny the fact that that's a baby in there. For years, maybe they could lie to women and tell them, oh, it's just a bunch of cells and that kind of stuff, but no more. There's no way you can support that anymore. 
I know we're kind of probably tired of hearing about science because everybody seems to be saying follow the science whether they are or not. At any rate, as we do look at science, science does bring something to bear when it comes to what's happening inside of that woman with that development of that child. And it is definitely not scientific to accept this idea of abortion because what does science teach us? French geneticist Jerome Lejeune put it this way. He said, to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. The human nature of the human being from conception to old age is not a metaphysical contention. It is plain experimental evidence. Dr. Jaime Gordon, professor of medical genetics, He concurs. He says, but now we can say unequivocally that the question of when life begins is no longer a question for theological or philosophical dispute. It is an established scientific fact. Theologians and philosophers may go on to debate the meaning of life or the purpose of life, but it is an established fact that all life, including human life, begins at the moment of conception. And so when you look at what we know, We know two things, that that inside the womb from the moment of conception is a life and that it's a human life. And you know, when you think about it, since you're dealing with a human life, the burden of proof has to be where? You shouldn't have to prove that it is a person in order to save their life. You should have to prove that it is not a person in order to put them out. And how do you do that? You know, some of the videos and stuff that I watched over the last few weeks, you know, somebody will offer up different things. Well, I think it's when they draw their first breath. Really, when they draw their first breath. So you can go inside the mother's womb moments before they would draw their first breath and it's okay to kill them because they haven't drawn a breath yet. Not only that, there is no uh, argument for abortion that you can't also apply to adults. What about somebody that's on a machine that's helping them breathe for a time while they heal? What about people with a pacemaker that need some help having their heart beat? Are they not human because they need some help having their heart beat? That baby would come out and breathe in just a few moments, but you can kill it right before that? That just doesn't make any sense. So the burden of proof would need to be on the people that say that's not a person. Well, as we consider it, abortion is not in step with science because science proves that it's life and it's human life. We know now what we didn't know before, that all of our genetic makeup is already in place and that that is an independent being from its mother. There might have been a day where you could plead ignorance. No more. Not today. But then not only is abortion not science, abortion is not just. When you look back at some of the arguments, last week we looked at the arguments that were in favor of Roe versus Wade that were spelled out in, the, in that ruling. This week I'd like to look at the other side. There were only two justices that voted against Roe versus Wade. One was William Rehnquist. He wrote this in his dissent. He says, This partakes more of judicial legislation than it does of a determination of the intent of the drafters of the 14th Amendment. To reach its result of allowing abortions as a constitutional right, the court necessarily has had to find within the scope of the 14th Amendment a right that was apparently completely unknown to the drafters of the amendment. You see, this is one of the Supreme Court judges that was involved in that ruling saying, you know what, we have made a right that was never there. And we have made a right that the people that wrote the 14th Amendment were completely unaware of. Justice Byron White, he said this, I find nothing in the language or history of the Constitution to support the court's judgment. The court simply fashions and announces a new constitutional right for pregnant women. And what was that right? It was the right of privacy. The right of privacy. When you think about it, what does a right of privacy get you in this country? Does that mean that I I can steal things as long as I do it privately? 
Then I can, if I can take a life of somebody in the womb, as long as it's done privately, can you take somebody else's life if you do it privately? Uh, obviously, these questions are foolish, but that's the whole point, is this whole right of privacy to take the life of somebody that should have that life constitutionally protected is foolishness. You know what the Bible tells us? That we ought to be just. It says in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. You know, it is seriously unjust to take the life of an individual within the womb. You cannot find a time in your life where you are more innocent than that time there. Where you have literally not done anything wrong. But yet our justice system allows this to take place. Now, they find different ways to try to justify it. One is that they they say, "Well, well, what about if the life of the mother is in danger? then does that justify it? You know, there are certain situations like uh, what are the ectopic pregnancies where the child does not survive. But you know what? In an ectopic pregnancy, I don't really, you can't really classify that as abortion so much because if that goes full term, neither of them live. Neither the mother or the child live. It's not like the child is going to live no matter what happens in that situation. And so that's very different. One of the things that we do know is in our society, especially in our day and age, the life of the mother is not an issue. It's raised every time because it's the one where you can really get sympathy. If you look at and read in the medical community, it is not an issue. I found this article. And the article is entitled, Abortion is Never Medically Necessary. It was written by Lila Rose and Donna Harrison. It was in the Washington Examiner, February 26, 2019. She's quoting from a statement that was made by over a thousand, over a thousand gynecologists signed this. It says, as experienced practitioners and researchers in obstetrics and gynecology, we affirm that direct abortion, the purposeful destruction of the unborn child, is not medically necessary to save the life of a woman. We uphold that there is a fundamental difference between abortion and necessary medical treatments that are carried out to save the life of the mother. Even if such treatment results in the loss of of life of her unborn child, we confirm that the prohibition of abortion does not affect in any way the availability of optimal care to pregnant women. In other words, they say, you know what, with our technology and everything today, we are able to go in and deliver a child prematurely and protect both the mother and the child or give treatments while the child remains within the mother they're able to do and stuff as well. In fact, the article went on to uh, describe a doctor and and this doctor, Anthony Levitino was his name. He worked in Albany Medical Center, which is one of the greatest high-risk obstetrics where you're dealing with high-risk pregnancies. And he spent his career dealing with women with all kinds of issues along with their pregnancies, dealing with cancer, diabetes, heart disease, rampant toxemia, and it says other life-threatening issues. And he said that in all of them that he ever dealt with, never would he have to take the life of the infant in order to save the life of the mother doesn't happen. I, I remember Everett C. Coop when he was Surgeon General. He said in his entire career, he never knew of one case where the child had to die to save the life of the mother. He said it just doesn't happen. In the Irish Times, and the reason we quote from Ireland here is because children in the womb are constitutionally protected in Ireland. And so it's a place where we can go for some data and some information. In Ireland, it says, we affirm that there are no medical circumstances justifying direct abortion. That is, no circumstances in which the life of a mother may only be saved by directly terminating the life of her unborn child. 
In fact, it says when Dublin's National Maternity Hospital, which is where uh, 10% of all births in Ireland occurred, investigated the 21 deaths of pregnant women there between 1970 and 1979, they found that not a single one of those deaths could have been avoided by abortion. You know, this whole idea of for the life of the mother, we have to have abortion available to everybody is ridiculous. It's a smokescreen. You can look at doctor after doctor, gynecologist after gynecologist, people that specialize in those things, and they say it just doesn't happen. It's not a reality. But we're going to justify the killing of 1.3 million children a year because of the life of a mother, which is a non-issue, our scientists tell us, our doctors tell us. In USA Today, they put this chart dealing with the breakdown of reasons why women have abortions in our country Having a baby would dramatically change my life, 74%. Now, obviously, these percents would add up to more than 100 because some women listed multiple reasons. Can't afford the baby right now, 73%. Don't want to be a single mother or having relationship problems, 48%. Have completed my childbearing, 38%. Victim of rape, it's actually less than 1%. And pregnancy as a result of incest, less than half a percent. And so they're trying to justify the killing of all these people, all these babies, because of the life of mother, which never happens. You know, one of the things I did is I looked up how many women die in a year from a failed abortion. And the numbers are not high. I don't know if you can totally trust the numbers because who would have to collect those numbers? Not your most reputable people. The numbers are not high. Some years it's two. Some years it's 12. But you know what? If you couple that with what we just learned, if going to term or having these other procedures, if that doesn't kill any women, but abortions are killing a few women, then what is actually killing them isn't the lack of abortions. What's killing them is the abortions themselves. The reasons people are actually getting abortions have nothing to do with the life of the mother. What about rape, incest? With what you typically think of as being rape and an abuse that way hardly ever produces pregnancy. That does occasionally, but the numbers are low because there are several factors involved. One is timing. Timing isn't always right to produce a pregnancy and that kind of a thing. And not only that, but there's a lot of stress and in a high-stress involvement, pregnancies usually do not happen. But there are some. I remember a church that we were at out in Washington State. There was a lady pulled up to a stoplight. Somebody jumped in her car. I don't remember if they had a gun or what the deal was, but they had her drive up a secluded area, and they raped her, and she became impregnated with that. They had the baby and raised it as their own in their family. Rape is a horrible thing. Incest is a horrible thing. That child is not a horrible thing. That child didn't do it. Now, if you want justice, if you want to talk about killing the rapist, I'm with you. I'd much rather go that route. But that baby didn't do it. And you may not have asked to be in that position here, but can you really kill that baby because of this? That does not seem just. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, says, The soul who sins, it shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So if you want to deal with rape and incest by dealing with the actual perpetrator, rather than letting them uh, back out into free society within five years or even possibly less, then I'm with you. I think there's some things that can be done there. Let's get justice. But to kill that baby is not justice. Well, abortion is not just. But not only is abortion not just, but it's not compassionate. It's not compassionate either. That's one of the big arguments that's used for, to justify abortion was that look at these poor women and the things that they're going through. And I'm with you. They, there are some women in, in tough situations and, and that kind of thing. But that doesn't mean you can kill somebody else. You can't kill somebody else to make your life easier. It doesn't make any sense. You can't kill somebody else because it's more convenient. 
When you look at the issues that are raised on people, why they get abortion, they're getting abortion because uh, I want to do more schooling and I won't have time to get an education if I, if I have to stay home and raise a child. Well, let me tell you something. You stay home and raise a child, you will get an education. You will learn a lot of things, a lot of valuable things. But you'll get that education. Not only that, our society has all kinds of programs and financial aid to help you go get that education. You're going to have to work for it. But you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. You know, they've broadened the life of the mother to say the life and the health of the mother. And so when you look at that category and you're talking to people, they're not, uh, they're not even talking about health as you would think about health because they've expanded it to where it can be referencing physical health, it can be referencing emotional health, mental health, societal health or social health, financial health or economic well-being. And so when they start describing health and well-being, they describe it in all these different ways. And the fact of the matter is it boils down to do you want that kid or not? Because if you don't, we can just get rid of it for you. If it's going to be a drain or an impact on you in any way, keep in mind you are talking about their child. You know, some people have compared it to like you being forced to take on a parasite and have this parasite living off of you. Well, it's not a parasite. It's actually a human being. And not only that, but it's your human being. It's your child. You know, when that child's born, if you neglect that child, you can be thrown in jail for that. We recognize the parents have a responsibility toward their children to take care of their children to provide for their children, to nurture their children. They're not allowed to abuse their children. They're not allowed to neglect their children. Why is it different when they're in the womb, when they're most reliant upon you? See, abortion is not compassionate because what are you doing? You're taking somebody that's in a tough situation and you're making it tougher. I know that the abortion crowd doesn't agree with this, but they're wrong. Because you're taking somebody that's in a tough situation and saying, look, I can give you an easy out, but to do that, you've got to kill your own kid. Is it really compassionate to pressure somebody into being the kind of person that would take their own child's life? That's not compassionate by taking that path. Sometimes the tough directions are the direction we need to go. They're the direction that, that leads us into a better place and a better person. And you're not exercising compassion by trying to give them a so-called easy out that would take the life of their own child. Abortion's not responsible. I think this is, to be honest with you, I think this is why, big part of why we're at where we are today is because we've made an easy out. We said, oh, you know, you don't have to have that responsibility. We can take care of that, clean that up for you, get back on with life, forget about it. You see, taking away somebody's accountability for produces irresponsible behavior. People got to quit taking other people's responsibility off of their shoulders because when they do that, you know what happens? Those people become irresponsible. And abortion is not responsible. Well, lastly, abortion is not Christian. As we've recognized in the Bible, it already points out to the personhood through a proclamation of personhood, a protection of personhood within the womb. But I'd like to focus on just one other aspect in dealing with this within Christianity. The concept of abortion is diametrically opposed to the concept of the gospel. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus said, I will leave heaven, come down and live 33 years on this earth, and I will die. I will sacrifice my life so that you can live. That's the gospel. The gospel is, I will die so you can live. And the gospel is something not only that we are called to believe, it's something that we're called to follow. We're supposed to lay down our life. We're supposed to die to self. We're supposed to put other people first. That's what the gospel does. The gospel puts other people's needs before our own selves, our own needs, our own wants. But what does abortion do? 
Abortion puts my needs before your needs. Abortion says you die so that I can have the life that I wanted. You die so that I can fulfill the dreams that I had in mind before this. You die even though I entered into this. And make no mistake, when you consent, I'm not dealing with rape here, but when you consent to sex, you're consenting to all the risks that come with it. You die though I consented to this and you came from it. You die so that I am not inconvenienced. In other words, I don't pay the price. You do. You know what? That's exactly the opposite of the mindset of the gospel. The gospel is I will lay down my life for you. Abortion is you lay down your life for me. The gospel is I will sacrifice for you. Abortion is you will sacrifice. You will pay for me. And so it is not Christian. As we look at these things, we find that biblically, personhood is already in the womb. The Bible proclaims it to be so. The protection of that personhood we also see within Scripture itself. As we consider then that and apply that to this world, we look and we recognize that abortion is not science. Science says that's a life and it's a human life that needs to be protected. Abortion is not just. You're punishing the innocent rather than the guilty. Abortion is not compassionate. You're pushing people into becoming lesser of a compassionate person, less of a caring person, less of a person of solid character than what they might otherwise be. Abortion is not responsible, is pushing away our responsibilities, not owning up to what our circumstances demand that we step up to. And abortion is not Christian. It is the antithesis to the gospel itself.